Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Christ in Me with Addie, where we seek to live out a John 3.30 life. John 3.30 says he must become greater and greater and I less and less. Let's be real. In today's world, it can seem impossible to live out what the Bible calls us to do. Not only can it be hard to understand sometimes, but finding the time to read the Bible, to understand the Bible, to know the Bible, it can just be overwhelming. So I created this podcast so we could walk alongside each other, share some of our stories and struggles, but also where the Lord is bringing us so that we can encourage one another and stay rooted in his word. It's my prayer that you walk away from each episode saying, I know that that is Christ in me. I know Christ in me. So let's get into today's topic. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Christ in Me with Addie. I'm so excited for today's topic and I know I say that at the beginning of every single episode, but it's because I spend expensive, expensive, extensive time. I'm saying expensive because you'll hear the theme, but I've spent extensive time researching this topic, talking to different mentors, pastors, and friends on this topic. I even asked you guys your opinions on this topic um, just to kind of see where the general consensus lands. But today's subject is Should I tithe or is it still important to tithe? November is the month of generosity and Thanksgiving, so I thought this would be an appropriate thing to discuss. I've heard so many awkward, weird, and uncomfortable offering or tithe speeches and sermons, so I wanted to take the weirdness out of it and just talk about why there are church collections. I want to talk about misconceptions when it comes to giving financially to a church, but I also want to discuss what actually happens to your money and your heart when you give to a church. And please note, I I cannot speak for all churches. I'm speaking from the Bible here and not from a place of, you know, we all know well-known pastors who drive around sports cars and wear designer shoes for every Sunday sermon, but I'm not speaking for those who kind of abuse the system. I'm speaking biblically on how God calls us to operate both as a church body and as individuals on the subject of giving financially. So before you swipe left on this episode, hear me out. I know the last thing you probably want to talk about right now is um, money, especially with the time I'm recording this. Christmas is around the corner. Christmas is in just a few weeks. And I, I can think back to my grandpa. My grandpa was an amazing man. He had a great heart, but he was a little rough around the edges. And I still remember his face in, um, I grew up Catholic. I still remember his face in every Sunday mass. Every time they brought up the offering speech, he would just kind of fold his arms and sit back. And you could tell he was like, I don't want to hear about giving in church, especially if they were doing like a second collection for some um, like Operation Christmas Child or something like that. And while I can look back and kind of laugh because I'm just like, oh, grandpa, you know, it does show a greater heart condition, right? And so that's what I want to talk about today. My grandpa, I also want to say, was a very generous guy, but I can still picture his face during the offering talks. And so that kind of put in me too a weirdness of like, should I be giving to church or, or should I not? So maybe you're like my papa 
And um, you just don't want to hear about what you should or shouldn't do with your money. And I know for many during this time, having enough money for Christmas gifts or a nice dinner is difficult. So tithing like isn't even on your radar. You don't want to hear about it. However, I've found that it's when we're struggling the most that God often wants to bless us the most. We just have to trust Him, turn our attention to Him, and follow His Word in faith that He will provide when we are obedient to His Word. So before we dive into this episode, I have to admit the title itself is a bit of a trick question, and some of you actually caught on to it from my Instagram poll slash Instagram question. So over on at Addie Overla on Instagram, I asked whether or not it's important to tithe, and here's a few of the responses. Somebody said, God gave us everything. Our, in quotations, money doesn't belong to us anyway. Someone said, very much so. It's a biblical command that our tithe belongs to God. This person said, tithing is a sign of obedience and trusting God with our finances, of course. Um, Someone said, it's a valuable spiritual discipline, blessing attached to our obedience. I think these are all great answers, but there was one, well, there's a few, but there was one person who I think hit it spot on. They said, I think it should be called an offering because a tithe relates to Old Testament law. So, yes, the last person was definitely on track. There is a difference between a tithe and an offering. Before I get into the difference between a tithe and an offering, we're going to talk about Old Testament law here in this episode. And if you're unfamiliar with what it means to be bound by the law, or if you're unfamiliar with Old Testament law, I want to refer you back to my last episode called Cherry Picking, where I break down the difference of the laws, especially in the Old Testament, and I talk about which laws pertain to us today under the new covenant of, you know, post Jesus's death and resurrection and which ones were just more ceremonial or civil to the time and place of the Israelites of which they were written. So if you aren't familiar with the law, go back to the episode cherry picking and then come back and listen to this episode. So the difference between tithing and giving an offering. Tithing is an Old Testament concept. The tithe was a requirement of the law in which the Israelites were to give 10% of the crops they grew and the livestock they raised to the tabernacle slash temple. And this can be found in Leviticus 2730, Numbers 1826, Deuteronomy 1424, and 2 Chronicles 31.5. I'm not going to take the time to read all of them because, I mean, pretty much all of the Old Testament is just law. So that is a tithe, whereas an offering, which is what we give today when we give to a church, is a gift to God in an act of worship out of free will and spiritual discernment, not out of requirement. So again, in the Old Testament, you had to give a tithe to be right before God. It was commanded of you. But now under um, the new covenant, which we are we are in as believers of Jesus, it's not required of us, but we're actually just invited to give an offering to God as an act of worship. Paul states that believers should set aside a portion of their income as an offering, but this is not a tithe, which is referred to in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 through 2. 
The reason Paul called the New Testament church to give to the church was to further ministry efforts, which is why I think a lot of us give today. It's like any organization that you want to see thrive, you give to. I know people who donate to their kids' public school system. I know people who donate to um, Sarah McLaughlin's Arms of the Angels puppy commercials. You know, you give to things that you care about. And so if you care about ministry, if you care about the church, that is why you give. So in other words, even in the times of Paul, the gospel goals needed funding. Many individuals question whether or not giving or giving an offering is still applicable to believers today since we are not under the law. After the death of Jesus fulfilled the law, the New Testament nowhere commands that Christians have to submit to a legalistic tithe system. So again, if you're under, unaware, underwear, I'm pretty sure I just said underwear. If you are unaware what it means to be under the law, go back to the episode cherry picking. So in this episode, I will answer the questions on whether or not we should give an offering if it's applicable to us today, as well as how much we should give and what happens when we do or don't give, but also where we should give. So first, I kind of want to start with an evoking question when it comes to giving an offering to the church. When I first came to the faith, I really reflected on how often I prayed to God, asking Him, and it was more like begging Him to bless my finances without considering how He might have been calling me to bless others with my finances. So I decided to kind of explore that subject further. I wanted to know where does the idea of tithing or giving an offering even come from? So tithing existed before man-made money even existed. However, thousands of years ago, as mentioned, this was done with your crops that you harvested, with animals and things that like that. In the Old Testament, there was a sacro- sacrificial system of giving or tithing where people were required to sacrifice their animals to the Lord. This was out of requirement because this not only cleansed them of their sin, but it also put them back in right standing before God. So again, I talk about this in the cherry picking episode, but before Jesus died for our sins, you know, his blood covers our sins. You had to sacrifice an animal and their blood covered the sin that you committed, but you had to do it for like each sin you committed. So it was a hefty process. It also showed the condition of the Israelites' heart to sacrifice an animal because they were giving up what would provide their family with nourishment, but it was also of tradable value during that cultural time. So in sacrificing an animal, they were losing, in a sense, monetary value as well. In Exodus chapter 13, we learn about the consecration of the firstborn. This concept is no longer required of us because of Jesus' death. But studying these Old Testament laws helps us understand the foundational themes of God's character. So I want to be sure to state that really clearly. I think a lot of times we look at the old law. We look at what the Israelites had to do before Jesus, and we think, whew, I'm really glad I wasn't born then. Like, thank God I no longer have to even like look at the law because of Jesus. And it's true. Jesus' death did abolish the law. However, The fact that God instituted those first still says something about the character of God and things that we can learn about how serious God takes us following his instruction. So we don't um, carry on in spite of the law, but we carry on with with reverence to the law and just deep gratitude for Jesus fulfilling the law. 
So at first glance, consecration of the firstborn sounds kind of creepy and weird, right? So let's break down the beauty of what that actually means. In Exodus 13:2, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Consecrate means to set apart and remain holy. If it's holy and set apart, it belongs to God. Here we see God asking for the Israelites to give the first of their treasure, which again in those days was livestock, which had trading value and monetary value. And he asked for that to be set apart and consecrated, sacrificed to him. As mentioned, we are not under that sacrificial system anymore post Jesus' death and resurrection, but the heart check or the premise of it still stands throughout the entirety of the Bible. God wants us to to protect our hearts. And in giving an offering to God, we protect our hearts from becoming materialistic and clinging to things of this world. We are prone to store up things for ourselves out of selfishness, but in giving, we are given the opportunity to be generous the way God is generous in his provision for his people. In the King James Version of Exodus 13.2, God says, it is mine. So he says, sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast, it is mine. Mine in the Hebrew means uh, ownership. It belongs to God. Therefore, in this verse, we can understand that God is claiming ownership over the first. As followers of Jesus, I think we have to change our perspective on ownership. So when we receive our paychecks, it was God's first. Those are gifts from God, and he's simply just giving it to us but it's still his first, if that makes sense. So while we are no longer under the the demands of the first by God, he does ask that we put him first in our lives. So he doesn't demand it to be right before him, but he just asks, he invites, he encourages us to put him first in our lives. It's important to see what we learned about the character of God in these Old Testament passages instead of dismissing them because we are no longer required by law to follow them. Look at what God didn't say in these Old Testament laws. God didn't say, store up a whole bunch and then give to me. He didn't say, make sure your rainy day fund is fully stocked and then give to me. He said, even the first is mine. So when it comes to generosity, I I really do feel like most people want to help others and be generous. It makes us feel good, right? But when it comes to money, how often do we close up our hearts and our pockets and say, I work hard for my money. This is mine. When God says, all you have is a gift and it was never yours to begin with. Tithing is all about returning to God what already belongs to him. And even giving an offering is about returning to God what already belongs to Him. In a sense, we aren't giving it to God. We aren't giving it to the church. We are returning it to Him. If God really is first in your life, then nothing can come before Him, even in your finances. 
So in our premarital counseling, part of our wedding prep was to do a budget together. And it was the first time we just like laid out our bank accounts in front of one another. Um, And our pastor told us that money matters are one of the biggest causes of divorce. So that's why it was a part of premarital counseling. He made sure that we understood the concept of giving because going into marriage, there are three cords. It says in scripture that a strand of three cords is not easily broken. You, your spouse, and God, with God being the top priority. He explained you can't go into marriage only discussing finances between two and then leave out the third, which is God. I know you're thinking, what about the practicality of life? What about bills, needs, day-to-day expenses? And listen, I'm not saying it's easy. It's so hard. There's a reason why the well-known hymn um, titled Come Thou Font says these very self-aware lyrics, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it with thy spirit from above. That hymn was written in the 18th century, but I love the recognition of the fact that our hearts are prone to wandering from God, even when we love him. This is why giving financially is such a gift and proactive measure for our hearts, because as Christians, we know he's always first. As Christians, we love God. We we strive to put him first. But in giving, this is a way that he invites us to live a way that actually puts him first. It's kind of like how, you know, when someone just keeps telling you sweet nothings, but their actions never level up to what they're saying, it gets disappointing, right? But you feel true love and devotion when their actions meet their words. So let's carry on in Exodus 13. Exodus 13, 13 says, redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In Old Testament law, if you got a clean animal, like an unblemished lamb, you had to sacrifice its firstborn to the Lord in thanksgiving and gratitude. And if you got an unclean animal, like a donkey, you had to sacrifice a clean animal to the Lord in thanksgiving. And I know this seems harsh, right? Especially the part that was like, break its neck. But let's talk about the picture being painted here. We have to remember that God isn't just this like malicious, scary guy who's like, break the neck of your lamb. No, he, he's trying to paint a picture here by using very um, bold language, basically. God is instructing that a clean animal be sacrificed for every unclean animal gained. If the Israelites do not do this, they might as well break the neck of the animal they have just received because he is instructing a sacrifice or a tithe or an offering to be made in gratitude to God for their provision. So basically, we're seeing this idea in action. If it belongs to God and you don't return it to him, you're going to lose it anyway. I'm going to say that again. If it belongs to God, if it was his first, if he said, it is mine, and you don't return it, you don't bring it back to him, you're going to lose it anyway. I also want to paint the picture of how difficult it must have been for them to sacrifice an animal. Think about a time that you've had very little and imagine God asking for it and you having to trust in faith to actually give it to him. I think about my mission trip to Kenya. In Kenya, um, when a woman becomes a widow, the husband's family is entitled to everything. So they come and take all of the belongings and the widows are left with no one, nothing. They're vulnerable and they generally don't have a way of making any kind of of income in an economy that um, doesn't really have 
much opportunity. So when we were in Kenya, we gave, um, we held a widow's conference and we gave every widow, uh, they're kind of like little towns of widows. And I think there were 12 widow towns total, but we gave each town, each village, two goats. And then we learned that once they, you know, raise up these goats, they can sell their product for milk, maybe even eventually meat if they raise enough goats. So we prayed over the health of the goats, that they would have many babies and that they would be very fruitful for them and their villages. And we found out that four goats can trade for a cow. And once they have a cow, they can make even more money off of cows and cow um, produce or products. So although we are no longer under that sacrificial system of the law, just think about how hard it would be to sacrifice an animal and take that step in faith for God if you only had like two goats to your name. So that kind of brings us to the next question. How do we know what to sacrifice or what to offer to God and what to keep? I want to talk about um, how Jesus didn't keep anything from us really quick. So think about as human beings, are we born clean or unclean? unclean because of our human sinful nature. Jesus was born clean. He was the only human who was human and God to be born without sin. So Jesus was born clean and was our sacrifice so that the unclean could be redeemed. Think about it again, back in Exodus 13, what I just read, they had to sacrifice an unclean animal to redeem, or they had to sacrifice a clean animal to redeem the unclean. God is always redeeming that which is unclean or broken. We have to bring our first into the storehouse. Again, not out of requirement, but out of love for God. God instituted the idea of the tithe, which today, again, is the offering for his believers, and it's the same for everyone. It doesn't matter about your tax bracket or um, whether you're wealthy or poor. God instituted a tenth of your increase to everyone in the Old Testament law. And this was, again, not just a duty of the rich, but also the poor. We see extreme generosity even among those who were very poor in the Bible. There's the story of the widow who gave the last of her coins in Matthew 12, 42. 42 through 44, it says, Then a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth less than a penny. Jesus called his followers to him and said, This poor widow put in only two small coins, but the truth is, she gave more than all of those rich people. They have plenty and they only gave what they did not need. This woman is very poor, but she gave all she had. It was money she needed to live on. Another example is the woman who poured oil out on Jesus's feet in Matthew 26, 6 through 13. It says, a woman came to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment or oil or perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this oil on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, whatever, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. I really love that story because... Jesus was painting the picture of, it doesn't matter that she gave a super expensive item to me. She did it out of an act of love for me and wasn't even thinking about the cost. And therefore, this shows that 
God isn't concerned with the material worth of things. He's more concerned with our hearts. And if we're willing to pour our oil out, pour our perfume out before God in sacrificial love before him. The last story I'll share is the woman who gave her oil for bread, though her and her son would starve. So in 1 Kings 17, 8 through 16, Elisha, the prophet, sees a widow and he asks her to bring a cup of water to him. As she was going to get the water, Elijah said, bring me a piece of bread too, please. And the woman answered, I promised you before the Lord, your God, I have nothing but a handful of flour in a jar and a little bit of olive oil in a jug. I came here to gather a few pieces of wood for a fire to cook our last meal. My son and I will eat it and then die from hunger. Elijah said to the woman, don't worry, go home and cook your food as you said, but first make a small piece of bread, uh, from the flour that you have and bring it to me. Then cook some for yourself and your son. The Lord, the God of Israel says that the jar of flour will never be empty and the jug will always have oil in it. This will continue until the day. The God of Israel says that the jar of flour will never be empty and the jug will always have oil in it. So in faith, she steps out knowing how sad is that? Just think about that. She was going to make her last meal knowing that her and her son were about to die because this was the last meal that they could afford. She's intercepted by the prophet Elijah and he promises her that the flour would never run out and the oil would never run dry. She just had to have faith and trust that if she shared in that last meal with Elijah, the Lord would actually make that happen. And he did. I think that's just such a beautiful story. And it also shows such beautiful faith. When I was first coming to the faith back in 2020, I had nothing. So I can really relate to all of these stories. I had fled from a really bad situation. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a job. I had zero savings and I didn't even own a piece of furniture. So I was starting from literal scratch and you can hear about that in my testimony episode and everything that the Lord did for me. But I talk about this in my testimony because I was having a hard time with, I was challenged with the idea of giving an offering when I was in the middle of that situation. That's when I started feeling the conviction to give an offering to the church for the first time. And it gave me a chance to stop looking selfishly on my own situation and consider how I could be blessed and caring for others, even as I was going through a time of need and asking for blessings from God. So he can still do a lot with a little if you're just willing to trust. And I know you may be thinking, okay, Adia, that's really great. And if you're so thoughtful, if you're so generous, then you go first. Give up your home, give up your car, and just be generous with it all. But that's impractical. That's, that's not what God's calling us to do is to just give away everything blindly. He's asking us to step out in faith, to be prayerful, to, be, uh, to have intentionality in this. So here's the practical and biblical side of godly giving. In the church, there's a saying, give of your time, your talent, and your treasure. That's on the Bible. It's just a theme sort of supported by the Bible. The Bible defines treasure as where your heart is. It says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I thought when I was going through that difficult time and first coming into church, I thought that my heart was for the Lord because I was giving of my time and my quote unquote talent because I was serving on the worship team. I had very little money, so I kept my treasure close to myself, guarded my pockets, and reassured myself that my time and my talent counted as my financial giving. But now I realize biblically God wasn't asking me to just pick one. He was asking all of the above. 
It wasn't until I started giving or returning to God what he had already blessed me with that he began to trust me with more. It says in Luke 16, 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. I want to be careful with my words here because I don't want to perpetuate the idea of the prosperity gospel. And this is basically just a false doctrine that promotes the idea that if you give financially to God, he will always respond by blessing your finances with a greater return, which is not true. We see, uh, well, we just have such a, a skewed view of blessing. Being blessed by God doesn't mean getting a massive check in the mail. You can be blessed and lowly. And the reason this is a false teaching is because you can be lowly and blessed. The Bible does not define blessing as wealth or financial return. And in today's modern world, we've just misunderstood what it means to really be blessed. We've assumed blessings as material items, status, power. When Jesus said in the Beatitudes, which literally means blessing in Matthew 5, 3 through 12, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness, for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be blessed, to be truly blessed, is to be obedient to God out of love, not to be generous with expectation of a return. So how much do we need to give? As humans, I think it's natural to see the Old Testament law stating 10% and, you know, be like, okay, I guess I guess I have to do 10% then, right? And then you might think, well, is that 10%, does that count towards the, the Christmas bonus I just received at work or maybe the raise I just got? Or what about the opposite? Say you lose your job and take a new one that pays less. Should you keep the, the offering or the tithe to make up the difference? That shows our heart problem when it comes to giving our return to the Lord. I think it's an absolute blessing that God set the 10% mark. While we are no longer bound by the 10% law, because again, that was Old Testament sacrificial system, we are now living in the new covenant by Jesus. I think it's just natural to look at that and say, God, am I doing enough? But he said that 10% was enough, so we would not have to question whether or not we're doing enough. In hindsight, I've only regretted the moments I was stingy with my generosity and never the moments I was overly generous. For those who watch The Office, uh, remember when Michael gave, I think he gave like $25 to Oscar for his like niece or nephew's race. And then Michael finds out that it was $25 per mile. I ended up totaling it. And I think he had to give like $400 in the end, but he goes to Oscar when he finds out it's per mile and tries to take it back. And Oscar responds to him saying like, don't you think it's just kind of a bad look to like undonate a donation? And I like that picture painted because we can think about ourselves with God like that. Again, Jesus went first for us, even though we didn't deserve it. He went first to the cross for us, even though we didn't deserve it. He was so generous. That's not necessarily a financial example, but he, he went to cover a multitude, a multitude of sins for us, 
even when we didn't deserve it. And I don't want to ever be stingy with God who constantly goes the extra mile for me. So in my personal faith journey, again, this is just my personal um, conviction after like prayer time with God, and it might look different for you, but I want to encourage you to pray on it because that's how you know how much God is calling you to give. I give 10%, but under certain convictions, sometimes I give more. I don't typically ever give less. I can't think of a time I ever gave less. I've always pretty much set 10% as my um, sort of modeled minimum based on the Old Testament. Because while we're not bound by the legalistic tithe system to give 10%, we have to recognize that it was still the standard that God set before we were saved by grace. I believe in aiding ministry efforts, so I give to see the gospel grow. Although no tithe is demanded of the Christian, the New Testament talks about the importance and benefits of giving. We are to give as we are able. Sometimes that means giving more than 10%. Sometimes that may mean giving less. It all depends on the ability of the Christian and the needs of the body of Christ. Every Christian should diligently pray and seek God's wisdom in the matter as stated in James 1.5. And above all, offerings should be given with pure motives and an attitude of worship to God and service to the body of Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians 9.7, each man or woman should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's true generosity. In all reality, God is not nearly as interested in our monetary offerings as he is in our submission and our obedience. The truth is, God does not need our resources to accomplish his plans and purposes. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, as said in Psalm 5010. He needs nothing from us. That basically means that he owns the bounty. He owns the plenty. He owns the abundance. And so we don't need to worry about, you know, what is my monthly tithe to the church in the grand scheme of things? He's actually just testing me. He's inviting me through the act of giving. What he desires and what he values is the heart that overflows with gratitude and thanksgiving to the God who saved us and who gives us all things, knowing that our needs um, are met and knowing our needs even before we ask, as said in Matthew 6, 8. So next question that that kind of brings us to is where should you give if you are feeling called to give? If, if you're feeling a little convicted, maybe after this conversation, next question is like, where should I give? We don't give our offering to the storehouse. That's a scriptural reference. We bring it because it already be- belongs to the Lord. So in praying over this, I would just ask God, like, where are you asking me to bring my increase? Where are you asking me to bring my return? So again, it's not ours to give. We are just obediently bringing it back to him. Like the saying, if you love something, let it go. If it comes back, it's yours. God wants to know you are his, and that's why he trusts you to take what belongs to him in the first place. Your offering truly belongs in your local church. If that's where you're getting cared for, if that's where the needs of your community are being met, uh, truly we should be investing in local ministry. Um, And I found even in like investing in local ministry, there's a global ministry tied to my local ministry, you know, but it's about serving the community of God where he has placed me. I think it's okay to give to extra causes you care about. I mentioned like the arms of the angel, Sarah McLaughlin in the arms 
come tell the angels. You know, the puppy commercials that make everybody tear up. Uh, but in all reality, if we want to see a difference made in the community around us, it starts with investing in local ministry efforts. Return to me, and so I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. How shall we return? Will man rob God? That's stated in Malachi 3, 7 through 12. Again, it says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord God Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? So if you're feeling uh, convicted, like I said, and you're asking God, how do I start tithing? Where do I start tithing? How much? Know that even... Even people in the Bible ask that question. We see it right here in verse seven. How are we to return? And then in verse eight, it says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Say the Lord Almighty and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will I will prevent pests from destroying your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I shared that verse there because I wanted to reassure everyone, if you're questioning, even people in scripture did, but God is promising here, if you don't rob me, if you if you return to me, I will return to you, is what he's saying. And all the nations around you will call you blessed. If you want to see your local city, if you want to see your home blessed, then truly it starts with returning to the Lord and he will return to you. And these Old Testament passages, we learn returning the first of all of your increase. That's the true heart test right there is, did you bring God your first? Returning the first 10%, God will always redeem the remaining 90. And that's how our finances are blessed. Even if you're not holding fast to the to the legalistic 10%, hear me when I say returning the first of your 10% or whatever percent you give will always be more blessed than the remain, or will also always redeem the remaining percentage. That's how our finances are blessed. A blessed 90% will go way further than a fully withheld 100%. Now, I know I've been talking a lot about the law and Jesus abolishing the law. And this one time we see the idea of returning the first that predates the law. So stick with me because I know this is kind of a confusing idea. But there was the law And that was the legalistic system that made you sort of right before God in the Old Testament. But this idea of bringing your first to God predates the law. So that's how we know that it's a moral, um, of moral importance to God, basically. So we see this with Cain and Abel. Bringing your first to God predates the law, so we know it's a moral nature of God. We see this with Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, 2 through 5. It says that Abel kept the sheep, meaning he gave an animal offering, most likely, and Cain worked the grounds or the fields. So he probably brought God a grain offering. In verse three, Cain, in the course of time, brought God his offering. That means that he waited in the course of time. He didn't bring it to God right away. But Abel, in verse four, brought the firstborn and the fat portions. He brought the best and he brought it early to God. 
Back in the day, if you had like a fattened calf, that's something that you would sacrifice during a celebration because it was the best of what you had. So Abel brought the not only the first of the animals that he had, but he also brought the fat portions. One offering was accepted by God and one was not. Which one do you think God accepted? Abel, because Abel put God first. How often do we pay the mortgage or pay the rent, pay the car bill, buy groceries, etc., and then we wait to give God our last? We bring him our leftovers. God really painted this picture for me recently. Um, my husband and I went to St. Augustine, Florida to visit our family, and we had dinner on um, St. George Street, which is kind of like the famous little historic street down there. And we were walking down St. George Street. I had a to-go box in my hands, and as a natural inf- introvert, I've been working on being bolder in my faith, but it's it's difficult for me. So as we walked, I saw an older homeless man sitting on a bench and his hands were just buried in his face. Um, you know, I'm not sure if he was crying or what happened, but there were a lot of people giving their leftovers to people down the street. And that encouraged me a lot to just see the heart of generosity and how people were taking care of people, you know, but this man, for some reason, was not being met, and it was probably just because he was kind of buried inside of himself. So I told my husband, I'll be right back, and I approached him, and I said, hello, sir, you know, what's your name? And he looked up at me, and he said, my name's Chris, and I said, hey, Chris, I'm Addie, and I shook his hand, and I had a a to-go box, and I asked him if he would like the food, and he asked what was in the box, and I was surprised by the question. I told him it was shrimp, it was crab, beans, and potatoes, um, but in my head, I was thinking it was strange that he was kind of being picky. You know, the the um, saying, beggars can't be choosers, right? He said he would take it, and I told him about Jesus and that I would be praying for him, and he smiled as I walked away. Again, I noticed the generosity of people giving their leftovers, but later, after diving further into this subject of like offering slash tithing, I realized true generosity would have been going up to Chris to begin with first and asking him what he would like, taking him to dinner and not just giving him my leftovers because he was there and it was convenient and easy for me. That was a lesson on true generosity and giving I learned as I reflected on Chris when researching further. If I was following the model of the first, I would have taken care of Chris first before myself. That is true generosity. To give with godly generosity is not to bring your leftovers. It's to bring your first. Because giving is all about a church serving a local community, not ourselves. When we give, we trust that God will lead the the church, not just as a building, but as a body to multiply it and use it to make a kingdom impact. And I also want to say, too, to give without sharing the gospel is a disservice. That's kind of called like the the social gospel, where you just go around meeting needs. But the truth is, we can't possibly meet the needs of humanity. Only God can. And that's why it's so important, no matter how you're choosing to be generous, to always share the gospel as you're being generous. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us in Romans 5, 8. Jesus went first for us. So why is it so hard for us to put him first, even in our finances? You know, I'm all for a good Starbucks run, home goods run, Target run, or I see something on Amazon and before I like can blink, it's at my doorstep. But recently I've been really convicted about stuff. 
I don't ever want to be a consumer of church the way I'm a consumer of material items that only benefit myself. You know, the church doesn't exist to serve us. We are the church and we exist to serve the world by Jesus' name. I want to be known for a generous heart who places the needs of others above my wants and my needs. That being said, let's talk about tithing convictions really quick. I've seen people leave churches before for very strong tithe convictions. I think there's a difference between misusing tithe money as a church versus people being unhappy with an area of ministry that their heart cries for um, more uh, fervently and believe that more money should go to that specific budget department. For example, a heart cry of mine has been the local homeless people. I drive past homeless people every day and I just pray like, God, how can we feed them? How can we meet them? How can we minister to them? How, how, can, we, how can we help them while still not enabling people who might be in addiction? Or um, how do we provide addiction recovery services? How do we maintain safety in the people that we send out? That's been a huge heart cry of me, of myself. While I have that heart cry, others in the church might have a greater heart cry for, say, the kids' ministry and ministering to the next generation or production. Maybe they want to see the speakers in the church upgraded to help some of the older people better hear messages and things like that. But we must never let our own giving conviction or ministry conviction convince us that the church is not doing enough or that it's misaligned just because we have a strong area of ministry on our hearts individually. Maybe God put that on your heart because he wants you to give there, but that doesn't mean that your neighbor who's giving to another department of ministry is not doing enough just because they have a different conviction than you. We must never let our own ministry conviction convince us that the church is not doing enough. That's how we become divided. So that being said, let's talk about, um, as we wrap up, red flags in um, church giving and also effective giving when it comes to finding a sound church. So if you're looking for somewhere to give, I would highly recommend doing this first and making sure that your church has this. For those who don't know, I work for my church currently as a graphic designer, social media manager, and I help on our creative team. Um, So every month I have to fill out an expense report stating all of the money I spent and why, as well as providing receipts for proof of my spending, all while staying within a designated budget each year. Then each month I submit this report to our financial lady, whose name is Peg, she's great, um, who compiles all the information into an annual report, and that report is public to the congregation every year, giving stats on every department of ministry, how much they spent, um, what the budget was, if they stayed under budget, over budget, things like that. Not all churches do this, but I can name several in my city that do, but they hold these annual report meetings, they're typically called like vision meetings, and are open to the public to attend. So I highly recommend finding a church who does this so you can see how they're spending, why, and where their true heart as a church is on mission for the kingdom. So I want to share really quick. I had someone share in my Instagram once that they're a financial advisor. I was explaining why church isn't a business. They're a financial advisor, and they were saying how one of their clients is a church, and they're not a Christian, but they treat them just like any other business that they help in financial advising. They're like, so the church is a business. But I want to start really quick by combating that, just saying that there's a common saying in business, like, it's not personal, it's just business. 
Whereas there's a difference when the church is conducting um, these reports and when they're holding these meetings to show you spending, that's just accountability. That's accountability. If the church were truly a business, we would be the worst business in the world because of how much we give away for free, expecting no return. We just want people to know about Jesus. The meetings, the the annual reports, the, the, the monthly reports— all of that is just for accountability. We do think ministry is personal. We do not think that ministry is just a business. So another quick tidbit, this is the last thing I'll say, and then I'll wrap things up because I know I'm going a little over, you know, I've projected for each one of these episodes to be 30 minutes and I've just ran over that every time. Okay. Another quick tidbit. If you do have a specific heart cry or a specific area of ministry that you feel God calling you to give to, a lot of people don't know that you can actually uh, make sure that your offering goes to that specific department. So for example, um, maybe as a kid, you dreamed of being an artist and your kid's ministry teacher gave you your first pack of crayons and it changed your life. So now you want to make sure that kids have crayons and you can write on your offering check, or if you're doing it online, you can write in the little memo box for kids ministry supplies. And legally the church has to honor your offering request and only use that money for that specific area of ministry. So if you feel a call on where you should be giving, you can either leave it open and let and trust and let the church um, decide where they want to use that funding, or you can write specifics on your check or in your memo to say where you feel God is leading you to put that money. So maybe it's youth ministry, maybe it's the worship team, maybe it's outreach, maybe it's feeding um, local missions, so feeding homeless, things like that. So that is... Um, just kind of some things to look for. If you're feeling called to tithe, those are just little examples, hopefully helpful tips to help you um, figure out where God might be calling you to give. But ultimately it begins with prayer. I really hope that this clarified some things for you guys on tithing versus offering, but also that we are not bound to the 10%, even though that is the original standard that God set for us. I pray that as you walk away from this episode, you just ask God, how you can do more, but also rest in the peace of knowing that you're doing enough if you are walking obediently in how God is calling you to give. Thanks so much for joining in, and I'll see you guys next time on Christ in Me with Addie.